Uh, that's kind of the question I have for you this morning. Once you've kind of seen all this, the next question I'm kind of getting from you guys is, well, where do I start? Where do I start? And so uh, I want to start with this. Uh, I found this verse a while back. It's Psalm 127, and uh, this is what it says. You've got to pay attention. Uh, Psalm 127. Um, no, that's not the right one, Alan. That's the, that's the wrong thing. So uh, he'll work on this. I'm going to give you this while we have technical difficulties. Uh, Psalm 127, verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, it, 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 its builders or its, or its laborers uh, build in, in, in vain. And, and I came across that verse a few years ago during some time alone with God, and I think it's perfect for where we are as a church. And I think it's perfect for where we are as a church because... Uh, our tendency, guys, is going to be to attack this, right? Our tendency is going to say, okay, listen, I've got this process, I'm going to get after it. And, and, and our tendency, just in the flesh, uh, because we have to admit that, that, that before we came to know Christ, we were in the flesh, our tendency in the flesh is to go about doing these things, often uh, in our own strength. And I want to tell you that if you go about this process in your own strength, you're going to be a miserable failure. Alright? Can I just, can I just tell you that now? You're just gonna add more stuff onto the pile of things that already make you feel inadequate. That's where you're gonna be. And, and, and I don't know if you're like me. I already feel inadequate. I don't need something else to make me feel more inadequate. Uh, Jesus has done pretty good at keeping me humble. And, and, and I think he's doing a great job at it. So, so if, if you attack this in your own strength, according to that verse, Psalm 127, if, if you're trying to build it and, and, and it's not God building it in you, it's all pointless and it's all for nothing. And so I, I kind of want to start with this warning, guys, that we as humans have this natural bent towards a thing called legalism. We have a natural bent towards a thing called legalism. And here's what legalism is. I'm going to define it for you. It's in your sermon notes if you grabbed a bulletin. This is that first little point. You're going to want to fill this out. It says, legalism is pursuing good works with the intention of earning God's favor. It's pursuing good works with the intention of earning God's favor. And now most of the time that, that has to do with, that has to do with salvation, right? We're trying to earn our salvation. But I want to tell you, there's a new plague sweeping Christianity, and, and now it's not just about salvation, it's about blessing. Right. And so so the new form of legalism that I see plaguing Christians is that they're they're pursuing good works with the intention of trying to get God to bless them. They honestly think that God is kind of this this big curmudgeon in the sky that's withholding his love and withholding his grace and withholding his blessing. And they think that they've got to jump through all these hoops and be perfect people in order to receive the blessing of God. And, And when you do that, you misunderstand that God is a loving father. Okay? And so, so I, I want to talk to you about legalism this morning. Mark Driscoll says that legalism is basically a paint-by-numbers kind of spirituality. Right? It's artless and it's heartless. You know, I don't know if you've ever done paint-by-numbers, but you can be as bad at art as I am, and you can produce something that looks halfway okay, because all you have to do is color the, the number one's green, and the number two's blue, and the number three's red. You've got to leave the fives white, everybody knows that. The sixes are purple, and then you've got the browns that are usually sevens or eights, right? And you just, you just color in all the little numbers, and when it's done, you go, oh, look at my picture. The problem is that's not really art, and the problem is that doesn't require anything of your heart. It's artless and it's heartless. And more than that, it's dangerous and deadly. I want to see, I want you to see what legalism does. Okay. Look at this with me this morning. It's dangerous because it allows us to carry on the appearance of Christianity without any of the necessary affections. 
Legalism allows us to carry on the appearance of Christianity without any of the necessary uh, affections. It allows us an appearance to do the things of God without actually loving God. It allows us outwardly to look like a Christian, like a good person, while inwardly we could be lost, dying, and headed to hell. That's what legalism does. Now, parents, those of you that have kids, think about the implications of this. Most of parenting today and most of life today is Christians, right? We focus completely on behavior. And if you're focused on the behavior and you miss the heart, then you're lost. And you end up producing kids that do the right things for all the wrong reasons. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'd rather have my child be imperfect but love Jesus than have a child that colors in the lines all of the time and is lost and is dying and is headed for hell that thinks that as long as they do A and B and C, everything's going to be alright, because that's not what life is about. And friends, that's not what your Christian walk is about either. And so I want you to understand that legalism is, is deadly and it's dangerous, because that's what it does. It makes us think that as long as we do this and this and this, that we're okay. Friends, when we get to heaven, we won't stand before God because we did A, B, and C. We'll stand before God because Jesus Christ completed the law. Amen. Because, because He and His flesh completed the law, that He died and His blood was shed. And, and, and because His blood was shed, that God accepted that blood as a sacrifice for our sins. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. We'll be in heaven because Jesus conquered death and He rose again on the third day. And He hung out for 40 days and He opened our hearts and our minds to the truth of the gospel. That's why we have the Bible. The New Testament. And then he rose and now he's there preparing a place for us. That's why we'll be in heaven. And so we need to understand these things. So, so, so just, just be careful when you talk about legalism. Uh, Piper says that, that legalism basically is... is uh, he gives this illusion of a car. He says, legalism is obedience with the wrong engine. It's obedience without the engine of faith. And if, if we're focused on obedience, but we're not focused on doing it out of an act of worship, then we're, we've, we've kind of lost it. You see, uh, legalism is when we take the things of God, so we take the things of God, and then, and then we have to build on top of them. We have to add our own rules to them. And we have to reinterpret them. And, and, and now we're so focused on this stuff that we completely neglect the thing that's actually important. It's what the scribes and the Pharisees were, were, were known for doing. It's, it's what I want us to guard against this morning. So turn with me to Luke chapter 6. We're going to look at verse 1 through 11. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 1 through 11. And, and we're going to be talking about the Sabbath, guys. That's, that's what Luke 6 is about. Uh, it, it is the Sabbath, and, and Jesus is walking through some grain fields, as you'll see in a second. But before we get there, as you turn there, I want you to kind of see... I want you to kind of see what's going on. All right, so here's a little background. Let's go back to, to uh, Moses and the Ten Commandments, right? This is what God tells Moses. Ten Commandments. He says, Exodus 28, 9, he says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days uh, you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. So that, that's what God says. God says, listen, I'm God. I made everything that you see and everything that you don't see. I made everything in six days, and on the seventh day I rested. And you, you worship me, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to work hard. I want you to work six days. Now, here's the deal, guys. Think about the blessing that the Sabbath is. Because if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, in the fall of man, what's the curse? What's the curse upon man because of the fall, right? We have to work. 
That's the curse. So, so, so just think about God's grace, by the way. You go back to the fall. Okay, we've sinned. What does God do? Kill some animals and make skins, coverings, right? So, so, so here, here we go. That, that, that literally blood is covering us. It's grace. It's grace. They're ashamed. God covers them. That's grace. Starts right there. Now, now we, we move on. Now, the curse of our actions, the consequence for doing what we, we've done, the consequence for sin is that we have to work. And it's going to be hard, right? But look at the grace of God. God says, wait, 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 wait. You do have to work hard. And that is a consequence of your actions. But I love you. And I, because I'm God, I made everything in six days. I rested on the seventh. I'm going to give you a day off too. I want you to rest and recover from that hard work. And you honor me by doing that. Do you understand? Yes, yes, we understand. Problem. Scribes and the Pharisees are legalists. Okay? So they take the word of God and they're going to say, well, wait a second. What exactly does God mean when he says rest? What is rest? Right? And so they said, well, well, maybe to define rest, we should figure out what work is. And so they sat around and they, they discovered 39 categories of work. 39 categories of work, of things that constituted labor on the Sabbath. Right? I mean, you just imagine this with me, right? So you're sitting around, it is your day off, and you enjoy more than anything else. The thing that makes you feel so close to the Lord is just sitting quietly in your garden. And pulling some weeds and, and watching what God is doing. And somebody says, nope, that's work. You're gardening. Can't do that on the Sabbath. You're done. No, what you really enjoy is you love just the company of family. And, and, and when family comes over and the fellowship that is there, and it makes you think of all the blessings of God. And so, so you know, you love on, on Saturday, you want to come over and, and, and you're going to cook a meal and your family's going to come over and you're just going to rejoice with one another and talk and play games and the kids are going to run around. And for you, that's a day of rest. And they say, no, 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 you're cooking. That doesn't count. That's not a day of rest. You're cleaning the house. You're picking up. Nope, that's not going to be restful. And so they come up 39 categories of things that, that mean work. Now that's categories. There's all kinds of laws under each category. So what happens is this great gift of God, this thing that's a day off, actually becomes a day that has more laws to follow than any other day of the week. I, I, again, I, I, love, I love Driscoll here. He says, guys, that's like rules for birthday cake. Right? What's the rule for birthday cake? You get a cake and a fork. That's a birthday, right? Hello, it's your birthday. Forget all the other rules, right? It's your birthday. Eat the cake. He says, imagine it's your, it's your kid's birthday and you give him the cake. And you say, well, now hold on, son. Listen, I know that you love chocolate, but that chocolate, you know, it's got, it's got some dye and some things that aren't really good for you. So we've got you vanilla. And, and we went ahead and we got the gluten-free vanilla, by the way. And so, so, and, and it's got some icing on the top, but that's too much icing, son. So I need you to take the fork and you scrape off everything but about a centimeter of the icing, alright? You can only have, by the way, a two by two inch slice. That way everybody can have plenty of birthday cake on your birthday. And then when you eat it, now only use your right hand, do not use your left. Do you understand me? Don't lose. Don't don't do it. And after each bite, I need you to wipe your mouth because otherwise, you know, that frosting could could dye your skin and that won't be good for you. And so so one bite and then you wipe and make sure that you chew it good. And after each bite, if you could take one drink of water to make sure that it goes down and it digests well. And do you feel like cake after all that? I feel like shoving that thing in my parents face at that point. Right. You take that cake and go. Happy birthday to me. That's what legalism is. That's what legalism does. That's, that, 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 that's the backdrop. That's what's, that's what's going on here is, is, is the scribes and the Pharisees have taken a gift of God 
And they've removed every ounce of joy from it. They've taken the Word of God and they have added their own rules and their own regulations. And we're going we're gonna to read this passage. It's just 11 verses and then we're going to look at the dangers of it. Ready? Luke 6, starting in verse 1. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and His disciples began to pick some heads of grain and rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. It says, some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Pause. Hit the pause button. Where is Jesus? This is audience participation. Where is Jesus? He's in the fields. Where are the Pharisees? They're following him through the fields. Now, why? What's their motivation? Of course, they're always looking to catch you. So follow me. It is the Sabbath day of rest, and the Pharisees are hard at work trying to catch Jesus in something. <laughs> just, just, just want to set it up, okay? Why are you doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? They say, Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and he was teaching and a man uh, was there whose right hand was shriveled and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. Again, they're watching. They're looking. They're working hard to catch him on the Sabbath. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. and He said to the man with a shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. And so he got up and he stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good? Or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it. He looked around at them all and then he said to them, stretch out your hand. He did so and his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and they began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. See, legalism is dangerous. I want to talk to you about that this morning. Just four things from this text that we get about the dangers of legalism. Here's the first, guys. Legalism makes you proud. Legalism leads to pride. That's, that's what it does. I, I, again, see this, guys. The, the scribes and the Pharisees are following Jesus. Now, I, I don't know what you know about Jesus. I hope you know a whole lot. But according to John 1, uh, you know, 1 through 5, Jesus is God. That's who He is. By the way, that's also Philippians and Ephesians and everywhere else you want to go. Okay, so, so right in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made that has been made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Right. So Jesus is God, and the Pharisees and the scribes approach God and accuse Him of not following His own rules. Do you see the pride? Do you see the arrogance? Do you see the self-righteousness? They come to God and say, you've broken the rules of God. <laughs> this is what they're saying. And of course, what they mean is, is you're breaking our rules. <laughs> and Jesus is going to point that out, right? But that's what legalism does. Guys, legalism makes you so proud that, 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 that you, know, you look at anybody else in the back of the line and think that you're better than them, don't you? And that's what's happened to these guys. They, they're so proud of all of their rules and all of their rule keeping that they're looking at anybody else and going, no, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're, you're in error. And the, the great problem with that, guys, is that God 
opposes the proud. Don't forget that. What does God do with proud people? He, he opposes them. Why, why do you think that Jesus, every time he has a, a chance to put the Pharisees in their place, he puts the Pharisees in their place? Do you know why? Because they're self-righteous and proud. And God, in his nature, must oppose the proud because he is the only one that can be proud because he is God. He is God. Right? One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Okay? God is the only one right. He's the only one righteous. He's the only one holy. That's who He is. And so God, in His nature, opposes proud people and proud things. And friends, this is one of the great dangers of legalism, that if you go about Christianity trying to add gold stars and check marks into your ledger, that God will oppose you. Do you see the heart of that? There are so many Christians in our nations that that, that are going about this Christian thing the wrong way, trying to check every box, trying to earn God's favor and blessing. And, And in truth, God's opposing their proud nature and their proud pursuit. You gotta let that sink in, brother. That's heavy. That's heavy. Legalism makes you proud. Number two. Second great danger with legalism is that it leads to error, right? Legalism adds to God's law. It's where we make our own rules. I'm going to give you some examples. I'm going to pick on Baptists for a second. Now, this isn't just Baptist churches, but remember we've said the Baptist church went through a a period where they got a black eye. I want to show you a little bit how, how I think that happened, how that's easy to do if we get into a spirit of legalism. So let's look at this together. Just some, some errors, uh, Let's, let's start here. Uh, example one. Uh, God says don't get drunk. That's biblical. Okay? That's the command of God. Don't get drunk. Like, you can't do that. Being drunk is, is a sin. God says so. Right? By the way, all my underage kids, underage drinking is a sin. See Romans 13. God's put every authority over you. The law of the land says you can't drink till you're 21. You drink before 21. That's a sin unto you. Okay? So, so God says don't get drunk. That's what He says. But we kind of look at the fence of God and we say, God, that's kind of a low fence, you know? I mean, I can still, I can still see other things. And, and I mean, don't you think the fence, shouldn't it be a little higher? And so we kind of take a step back and we build another fence and say, well, this fence needs to be, you know what? If I'm not supposed to get drunk, then I shouldn't drink at all. Right? I, I just, I, I'm not going to drink at all. And you say, well, you know what? That's probably not even enough. I mean, I could be tempted to drink if I was around other people that drank. So you know what? I won't ever go to parties. Now, Jesus was constantly at parties, right? He was constantly amongst the people, so much so that they thought he was a drunkard. That's what they claimed of of our, our Lord and Savior. Of course, we know that he never sinned, but he was always with sinners. He was amongst people because he was about redeeming them. Okay, but we have said, no, wait, 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 no, I can't, I can't get drunk, therefore I won't drink, therefore I won't go to parties. And you know what? Maybe it's even better if I don't even go to a restaurant that has a bar in it. Good luck. You're stuck with lubies at that. Like, you know what I'm, and I think they may even, they may even sell beer now. I'm not sure. I know Chuck E. Cheese does now. Like, they finally figured, as a parent, if you're gonna take your kids to this place, and where all these children are running around at kneecap level and screaming, and, and going, TICKETS! If they're gonna do that, like, they should probably have some kind of beverages for adults. They, they do. I was shocked. I was like, walking around, mom's drinking a glass of wine, she's like, I'm fine. Everything's fine now. You guys, she kinda had her own little section, you know, like, I'm over here, you go run and be crazy, come back when you're out of money, okay? Okay? And, and they figured that out. So, so I, wa- I want you to see this. So God says don't get drunk. Now, now, guys, what do we need to address? We need to address what God says. Don't get drunk. But we add all these things to it. 
We become legalist in that to the point that the, the church actually gets a bad name. And what happens is eventually we paint ourselves into a corner and the corner we paint ourselves into isn't scriptural. So we either have to change what the Bible says, right? That's dangerous. We have to change what the Bible says. We have to just disagree with the teachings of God altogether. It's dangerous. Let me give you another one. Alright. God says, this is just God and His Word, right? God says don't have sex outside of the marriage covenant. Now, I don't know if you've read Genesis lately. I was reading through Genesis the other day. Man, God's cool, you know? I mean, I, I just want to say, this isn't sex ed today, but it'll be a little bit. Uh, so, I, I don't know, I don't, maybe you grew up and always had that, oh, that's a terrible thing in the church. It's not. God loves it. Uh, I'll show you in a second. So, uh, God creates everything, makes the heavens and the earth and stars in the sky, and you read through the Genesis account, and He makes all the stuff. He's making stuff, and He goes, and it's good, right? He says it's good. It means it's beautiful, right? So then, He, he, he makes some more things, and He says it's good, right? Well, then He makes man in His own image, and then He creates creates a helper for man, Eve, and he places Eve into Adam's arms and basically says, for this reason, a father, a, a, a son will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, right? So you're going to, you're going to, you're married, and you're going to leave your father and mother, you're going to have sex, and in fact, he, then he explicitly tells them, go be fruitful and multiply, he's not talking about gardening, and, and, and then... And then when it's done, check this. Now God has called everything else good. Then God does this and He says, and it was very good. Yes, it was, Lord. Yes, it was. That's what I'm saying. Come on. Don't act like it's not. I mean, God says in the covenant of marriage, I've given you a very good gift. Hallelujah. Very good, He says. Now, that's what the Bible says. Now, do you ever hear that in church? You ever hear somebody go, man, sex is good. It is great. God says so. No, we're like, nope, don't do it. Talking to kids, nope, it is terrible. Never. And so this is what we teach. Because we're fearful. Uh, instead of teaching the standards of God, we want to add to the standards of God. And so we teach our kids these things. You know what? Don't drink. Because when, when you drink, it, 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 it causes you to, 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 to not think through things all the way and... You could be prone to something and said, you know what? And, and, and then we said, well, you know what? Don't dance because that stuff, that's just promiscuous there. I mean, you know, I mean, that's going to lead right to a bedroom for crying out loud when you're at the high school and there's all those teachers around. That's what that's that's where that's going, because that gets you in the mood there. And then and then and don't listen to rock and roll because, man, that stuff. Right, and you're fa- guys, this is the history of the church. And this is what legalism and this is what happens. And, and guys, this happened with a good friend of mine on staff. He was somebody that was raised during that phase of life where, where these were the things that the church taught. And, and, and we had a Christmas production where a husband and a wife waltzed across the stage. Just one door to another. Staff meeting next week, he said that that was an abomination. So I had to take my Bible and say, I love you in Jesus' name. Please show me. And he couldn't. Painted into a corner by legalism. Either you had to disagree with the Bible or you had to reinterpret it. We can't do that. Okay? Legalism is dangerous. Man, we've got to get through this. Number, number three. Legalism is dangerous because it makes you unloving. Ultimately, what happens when you have a list of rules that don't require hard obedience, and that's what legalism does, guys, it gives us a list of rules so that we don't actually have to think about God. In case you're wondering... <laughs> 
That's what it does. If I do A, B, C, D, I don't ever have to think about the Word of God. I don't actually have to, to pray to God. I don't actually have to, to, to get there on the edge of it and go, is this for me? Is this not for me? Should I do this? Should I not do this? It, it requires, it's heartless and it's artless, right? That's what legalism is. And so when you have a list of rules like that and it requires nothing of your heart, what happens is your heart gets hard. And that's what happened to the scribes and the Pharisees. Now they're in the synagogue and there's a man there who is crippled. And the scribes and the Pharisees would rather that man stay crippled than have Jesus heal him. They would rather have a marriage say, stay in, in destruction than bring about redemption. They would rather have a child and, and a father hate one another than, than bring about reconciliation. You follow me? They would rather somebody stay trapped in their sin than find freedom. That's what's going on. And the problem is their hearts have grown hard. And friends, that's what legalism will do to you. If you go about your Christian wall just trying to check boxes, saying, well, if I read, I read my Bible, I did this, I did that, I did that. What happens the next time you're at the stoplight and you see a homeless person? You can easily ignore that person. I, don't have, I, I read my Bible today. I prayed. I don't need to help somebody. Right? You see, so, I mean, you just think about this in life and it's so easy to do. That's one of the great dangers of legalism, that we, we lose our heart. We lose our heart. Okay, and lastly, here's, here's the, the biggest problem of legalism, is it causes us to miss the things of God altogether. The last thing they did is they decided that they needed to catch Jesus. Did you see that? It's in Luke six eleven. They were furious. He's healed somebody. He's brought redemption into somebody's life. He's healed somebody, but they were furious. And they began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. These are the men that missed the Messiah. They missed him altogether. It's very easy to get religious and miss the Messiah. That's the great danger, like I said, parents. If we're, if, we're, if we're only focused on behaviors, like I said, Christians, if we're, we're just worried about our actions, it's, it's easy to miss the Messiah, to miss the heart of the gospel and what it's all about. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's it. That's the mystery. All right? So what, what, what do we do? Where, where do we begin? Where do we start then? Ready? Okay, gosh, we've got to hurry. Number one. Number one. We understand that this is an exercise in humility, not a prideful process. You look over here, guys. This is an exercise in humility. This is not a, a, a prideful process. And, and, and it has to start with surrender. If you want to be used of God, you want to be a, a man or a woman of God, you want God to work in your life, you've got to start by surrendering to Him, and then you pursue Him. Now, now, now follow me. There is pursuit we are going to pursue holiness, but surrender has to come first. Pursuit without surrender is pharisaical. Alright? Pursuit without surrender, you're just a Pharisee. Surrender with no pursuit, you're not a follower of Jesus either. You've got to have both. See, there is such a thing called anti-legalism, by the way. A lot of Christians want to live in that. I'm just living into grace. I'm not going to read my Bible every day. I am not going to pray because some preacher when I was six told me I had to do it every day. I will not be baptized. I will not. Well, now what are you doing? Is, is that really God's heart for you? Absolutely not. You're missing the point. It's surrender and pursuit. And so we've got to start there. We've got to understand this is an exercise. Guys, it's humbling to surrender to God, is it not? 
Is it not humbling to have to come before God and say, God, I am a wreck and a mess, and there's no way that I can look like you on my own and by myself. There's no way. Remember, the end result is somebody that loves God with everything that they are and serves God with everything that they have. You can't do that on your own. I can't do that on my own. I can't, I can't love God on my own. I, I can't serve God with everything that I have because I'm lazy. I want to serve God with the remote in my hand on Saturday, right? Love Him with everything that I am. Serve Him with everything. It only happens when I surrender. Surrender first and then pursue. Number two, you've got to begin with worship. You've got to begin with worship. The first and greatest command is love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. Hear me, legalism is just pursuing the law in the wrong way. That's what it is. It's pursuing the law because because you want God uh, to to bless you or you want to earn His 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 favor. And I I just want to walk through this for you. And we're just going to run over. So deal with it. Uh, so uh, Christ died to fulfill the law, right? So Christ died to fulfill the law, and He did that uh, by becoming a curse for us, right? Because the law said anyone that died on a tree that was a curse. So the law was a curse. Jesus became a curse to 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 fulfill the curse that was upon us in the law, the penalty of the law. Jesus did that for us. He completely fulfilled that. He did that for us, but He still maintained and taught the moral aspects of the law. In fact, I would submit to you that He raised the bar. Jesus said, you've heard it said you shouldn't commit murder. I tell you, if you if you hold hatred in your heart towards your enemy, you've already done it. You look at a woman and lust, you've already committed it. Jesus raises the bar. He doesn't lower it. Friends, there are still standards. There's still a necessary pursuit of holiness, right? But that pursuit of holiness has to come out of worship. Worship has to be the engine for it. It has to be. If you're pursuing the things of God... Without the heart of God, you're living in a spirit of legalism and all those warning signs will happen to you. We pursue God out of a heart of worship because we understand what He's done for us and because we love Him for it and we want to be used by Him. We come to Him daily and surrender to Him and ask Him to use us and work in us. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? A a little bit. And and, and I'm going to say this to you, just a side note, I can't leave it out. This is a pursuit of Jesus, not a pursuit of blessing, right? You you, you listen to the guys on TV, and it's all about pursuing God's blessings. And and I I said this a little bit. Guys, God's not withholding blessings from you. That's not how God works. God is a loving Father. You remember, it says, says, which of of you who who, who asked uh, for a fish, is which of your fathers is going to give him a stone instead of a fish? If that's how your father, who's broken and messed up and dirty, will act, how much greater will a God who's perfect and almighty and loves you act, right? And and that's that's the the gist of it. God is a loving Father. Now, here's where those guys on TV are going to mess you up. They're going to say, man, if you if you do God, if you pursue the blessings of God, then God will bless you. If you sow in this, God will do this. If you do that, He will do this. Here's the deal, man. God is blessed. That's who He is, right? And so God, who is blessed, has said, listen, here's how you should live. I'm blessed. You live this way, and guess what? You don't have any of these bad consequences. Now, you can call that blessed, but that's not a God who's just waiting there withholding blessing. That's a God who has already laid out every blessing known to man before you. And he's just said to you, just do it, man. If you'll just do it, there's a better way. I'm not withholding it from you. I've laid it all down for you. Live under that. That's the blessing of God. 
That's the blessing of God, surrendering to His way. You've got to understand that. I feel like so many Christians have bad theology when it comes to the blessing of God. God has graciously blessed you. He has graciously laid it all out for you. Live under it. Submit to it. It's always better His way. End with this. Know that a tool is only as useful as the one that possesses it. That's it. You can look at this thing, and again, you can run through it all on your own and by yourself. We're giving ourselves to it as a church, but I'm just going to be honest. If you're not the person that God wants you to be, this is nothing. This is nothing. The tool is only as good as the person that's wielding it. That's the case, right? I told our Wednesday night crew, if, if you give me a bunch of metal and a blowtorch, I will catch myself on fire. That's how that'll go down. Okay? Don't know how to use those things. Something's going to blow up. It's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. The tool's only as good as the one that possesses it. You've got to remember that. Okay, so let me give you some things to do and we'll be done. Just application number three. Cody, you left number three off there. Was it not there? Yeah, there you go. All right, application. Here we go. <clears throat> First, start with surrender. It's surrender and then pursuit. You've got to start with surrender. It's coming before Jesus. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I'm nothing. nothing. There's no way that I can do this on my own and by myself. Number two, make personal worship your greatest priority. Now, for some of you, that doesn't sound right. You think that this discipleship process needs to be your greatest priority. You're wrong. You're wrong. I love what Piper says. He says, you know, missions is an ultimate. We always think that our mission, we've got to be about this mission. We've got to be about this process. That's not what's ultimate. Worship is ultimate. You know, the, and then he goes on, he says, missions exist because worship doesn't. In the end, when it's all said and done, and we're around the throne, we're not going to be on mission. We're all going to be worshiping God. That's how the story ends. That's the goal. That's what we're created for. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Make worship your greatest priority. And somebody says, but pastor, that doesn't make sense. I need to pursue holiness. Well, you pursue holiness by beginning with worship. Here's what Galatians says. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. But before it says all those things, it says, so I tell you, walk in the Spirit. For the Spirit of God opposes the spirit of the flesh. It opposes the things of the sin nature. Then it describes all the things of the sin nature. Guys, if you pursue Jesus in worship, Jesus automatically, because of who he is, opposes all the things on the list of things you shouldn't do. So if you'll focus on loving Jesus and living for him, you're going to avoid a lot of sin automatically and naturally. Make worship your greatest priority. Three, we're done. Then and only then. Then and only then, use this tool to help you. Okay? That's what it's about. That's what it's about. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Father.